amazing job. Wow, wasn't that time of worship amazing? So, so good. Man, so glad to be with you guys this morning at the start of a brand new series called No Offense. Has anyone ever said that to you before? Such and such and such, but no offense. We're talking about the topic of offense this morning. Really, for the next three weeks, we're talking about offense. And you might ask, what is offense? What do, we, what do you mean, no offense? Offense means being offended. Maybe being frustrated at someone, being hurt by someone. Maybe having resentment or unforgiveness in your heart towards someone. That's offense or being offended. But oftentimes we don't say, man, that person offended me. That's not really language that we use, or I'm so offended. Usually we don't say it that way. Usually we say it like, man, I'm so hurt. I'm so frustrated. I'm so irritated. I'm so annoyed. Man, I wish they would have done it this way. They should have, or this situation should have ended a different way. Or sometimes we say it in a, in a way where we're making some kind of assumption like, man, that was weird that they did that. I bet it was because fill in the blank. You guys tracking? We don't usually say, oh, I'm so offended because we know we probably shouldn't say that, right? But we do say all those other things which, have, which either lead into offense or which are offense. All throughout scripture, we see that God wants us, his people, to live with sincerity and without offense. Foundational scripture for this series is found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And it says this, it says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you might be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. Love this prayer, the scriptural prayer, that we would abound in love more and more, that we would grow in our love walk more and more. And then it goes on to define that a little bit, and it says that you would be sincere and without offense, that you would be sincere, that you would love deeply, that you would care deeply, that you would live with your heart wide open, but also that you would be without offense, without resentment, without bitterness, without irritation in your heart towards other people. And can we just say that's hard? It's hard to do both of those. Because honestly, the more big-hearted we live, the more we care deeply, the more hurtful offenses become. But God's heart here is saying, hey, it's possible to both be very sincere, love deeply, be selfless, and and care with your heart wide open, and to be without offense, without offense. And we need God's help for that. So let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. And God, we thank you for this topic of offense. Lord, we're living in a world that is offended. We're living in a world that takes offense at everything. Lord, we don't want it to creep into the church. We don't want it to creep into our heart. Lord, we want it to be said of us that we were so sincere and without offense. Lord, build our faith on this topic. Help us have awareness of this topic in our own life 
and to walk out this sincerity without offense. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys ready? So the title of this morning's message, we got three weeks on this topic. Title of this morning's message is Annoyed, Frustrated, and Hurt, The Trap of Offense. This isn't a big cheerleader. This isn't a big cheerleader type of a message, is it? But it's really good, and we all really need it. You guys ready? Um, so yeah, we live in a world that's really offended. Have you guys noticed? Like people are hurt and offended and, and bitter towards one another, and it seems like an increasing rate recently, especially in the last couple of years. And when it comes to social media, can we start a little bit lighter? When it comes to social media, have you noticed that sometimes you have to like fast and pray before you make a post to make sure you don't offend somebody? Anybody ever been there before where you go to post something on social media and it's lighthearted? You're not trying to start a fight. You're not trying to be opinionated. But somehow what you posted offended someone? I've been there. Like when Ezra, our youngest, was five, we went from being a family of four to a family of five, and we felt like we were swimming in laundry. And so when we were a family of four, we could do, we could wash our laundry, we could dry our laundry, we could fold it and put it away all in one day. But then we became a family of five, and we were in over our head. And so, like any good millennial mom, I took to Facebook to get some advice. And so I posted this post on Facebook, like, I posted something on Facebook like, hey, mamas of the world, how do you handle laundry? Do you do it all in one day, or do you do it once a day over the week? It was an honest, like, desperate cry, like, help, how do you do laundry? Didn't fast or pray before I posted it. It was just a need I had. Hey, how do y'all do laundry? Help, help a mama out. Got all kinds of nice comments full of wisdom of how other families handle their laundry. But then I got this one post on this thing about laundry. I got this one post from this guy that I didn't even know. I didn't know how we were friends. We had come at it. I don't know who he was, really. But he posted and he said, Erica, I can't believe that you of all people would assume that only women do laundry. And especially as a female pastor, I'm shocked. And I was like, I'm confused. <laughs> and I think I literally laughed out loud like, wow, what did I say that offended him? And I went back at my post and I had addressed it to like the mamas of the world. Hey, mamas of the world. I was like, well, okay, I guess I could have said, hey, people of the world. Hey, moms and dads and aunts and uncles and kids and animals and anyone that wants to comment of the world. <laughs> and he assumed that because I was a female preacher that I was some kind of feminist that didn't believe in doing laundry. So I could have prefaced by saying, and as a disclaimer, Eric and I share the responsibilities around the house. We both do the laundry, both do the dishes. But I was just wondering if someone could help me out on how to do the laundry. <laughs> Whew, anybody been there? We are like, how did you just get offended by what I just said? But we live in a world of an ever-increasing uh, culture of offense. There's an uprising of offense everywhere, even in the church, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But we're talking about offense in general this morning. Annoyed, frustrated, hurt. It sounds like the definition of this perpetual state of offense that the world is in. 
And offense is actually one of those things that Jesus said to look for as we draw closer to the last days. In, um, the ch- in, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gives this whole exposition about what to look for in the last days. And one of the things he mentioned is that there would be an increase of people being offended. Let's check it out. In Matthew 24, verse 10, it says, And then many will be offended. You know, he lists multiple things before that and multiple things after that. But at this point, when he's telling of things to look for at the end of the age, he says, and then many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. It goes on quite a bit. We're going to expand this scripture and talk about it more um, in future weeks of this series. But what I just want to mention here is that it's a sign of the time. As we see the culture of offense increase, it's a sign of the time. And a more appropriate translation of it, it says, and many will be offended. Really, it probably would have been more accurately translated, and then most will be offended. The word used here in the Greek for many is referring to a great multitude. And in some, in some situations, the vast majority of people will be offended. The scripture is also not referring to the world. It's actually referring to believers. Again, we're going to expand the scripture and talk about it more next week, but the scripture is saying many, a great number, a great force of believers are going to be offended in the last days, and that offense is going to lead to betrayal and to hate, and we'll talk about more of it next week. But I bring that up because we need to be alert, right? If Jesus is saying, hey, in the last days, many, most, the majority of believers are going to be offended, we need to be on our guard. Amen? We need to be on our guard that what's happening in the world does not try to seep in to the church. Um, So before we go any further, I just want to define offense a little bit more. Most offenses fall into one of two categories. Here's the first category. The first category of offense is this. A situation where there is a sin or a wrongdoing that hurts you or someone you love. So maybe someone legit sinned against you. Like someone lied to you. Someone gossiped behind your back. Someone stole something from you. Someone um, cheated on you. There was a legitimate wrongdoing. A sin as outlined in the Bible that was done against you. You were deeply wounded. You were betrayed. And as a result... You took offense. You were hurt. And and you never forgave this person. So you carry this resentment, this bitterness, this offense in your heart. That's one kind of offense. And like a, a, a branch of this offense is if someone literally sinned or had some kind of wrongdoing against someone you love. Someone sinned against or did something evil against a family member or a friend or someone that you love deeply, and this person told you about what happened. We can carry the sin, you know, we can carry bitterness and offense in our heart um, because of someone doing something to someone that we love. You guys got that one? So that's one kind of offense that we're going to talk about more in detail later. Um, The second kind of offense, though, that um, that we have is this. Go ahead and show the slide. The second kind is when you have a negative assumption, a misunderstanding, 
or believe something should have been handled a different way. This one is a bit trickier. This one is a bit more deceptive. This one doesn't even necessarily, this one usually doesn't involve an actual wrongdoing, but a perception of a wrongdoing. You guys tracking with this? And this one is running rampant all, all over the place. So this one, some examples of this one. Say you have a friend that invites one of your friends over for a party but doesn't invite you. It wasn't a sin for them to do that, but you feel like, well, they should have invited me too. So you become offended. You guys tracking? It wasn't wrong. It wasn't a sin, but it hurts you because of a perceived behavior that should have happened. Or your Facebook friend posts some kind of political opinion. I can't imagine something like that happening. Can you guys imagine something like that happening? They post some kind of political opinion that you have a personal disagreement with. And you have the opportunity to see this political post and think, oh, I can't believe they believe that. They should believe something different. And so you take offense. You have bitterness. You have ought in your heart towards this person because they believe or think or act differently than you think they should. You guys track in? Or if you're married, maybe you think your spouse should be doing or not doing certain things. And those aren't necessarily sins or wrongdoings, but it's preferences. And when they do or they don't do it, you take offense at it. Or in, in areas of leadership, maybe your boss or maybe your pastor, you think they should lead a certain way and they lead a different way. And because you sh they're not doing what you think they should be doing, you take offense. Or even you observe someone doing a certain behavior and the behavior was not necessarily sinful, but you make this assumption that the motive behind their behavior was, was um, wrong, right? Well, that behavior wasn't wrong, but I bet they did that because, you know, and I'm sure it's true, but you have no clue. But you take offense because of a, a motive you assume or an assumed behavior that they didn't even do, but you assume that they're going to do it, so you take offense. Are you guys exhausted? I'm exhausted just talking about it, just thinking about it. These are all great examples to wrap our brain around, but let's take a look at how does the word define offenses. In Luke 17, Jesus talks about offenses, and this is what he says. He's talking to his disciples. Then he, Jesus, said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. It's impossible to not expect that you have the opportunity to be offended, Jesus is saying. But whoa, big bummer to him who, who through offenses come. It goes on in verse 2. Jesus, Jesus is talking about offense, and he's saying, you don't want to be involved in offense. Because, number, verse number two, it would be better for him who involves himself with offense to have a millstone hung around his neck and thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. What? That's super strong language. Jesus is saying, yo, don't involve yourself with offense. 
You know, Jesus uses really strong language sometimes, right? Like if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, those kind of things. That's what he's saying here. He's saying it'd be better that you drowned rather than you get all messed up in offense. Whoa. Goes on in verse three to say, therefore take heed to yourselves. Okay, thanks, Jesus. Therefore take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the same day, and seven times he returns and says, I repent, you shall forgive him. Scripture goes on to say that the disciples hear all of this and they say, Lord, increase our faith. That's hard to do. So very strong language here about offense. But this word offense that is used in this scripture was a unique word for Jesus to use. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. And the Greek word used here that that we translate into English as offense, the, the literal translation is trap. It is impossible that no traps come, but woe to him who gets involved with a trap. And then goes on to talk about bitterness, offense, and unforgiveness. Go and show this slide. Here's the definition of the Greek word for offense used in the scripture. The literal definition of that word that Jesus uses to define offense is the movable stick that you put a bait on in a trap. It's a trigger for the trap. Other translations translate it to say a stumbling block. Many stumbling blocks, many traps are going to come. They're not not going to come. And then again, another definition is a mechanism closing a trap down on an unsuspecting victim. So Jesus is saying, hey, it's impossible that no traps should come, referring to offense as a trap, a bait of Satan. If you're looking to study this more, John Bevere wrote an amazing book called The Bait of Satan. This is like Satan's best tactic. He's been doing it since the start. This is like his only tactic, really. Deception through offense. It's a trap. You feel self-righteous and you feel like, oh, I'm going to get them because they did something against me. And it's a trap for your destruction, right? So the scripture is saying it's impossible that no traps should come. It's impossible that no opportunities for negative assumptions should come. It's impossible that no opportunities for division should come. It's, it's impossible that no opportunities for hurt or frustration or annoyance or should haves should come. But bummer for the one who bites on that bait. If the enemy can't get the church doing visible, really bad sins, you know, like stealing and adultery and and murder and all the different things, then he's going to try to trap us in this trap of offense. He's going to try to trap us in this self-righteous sin of of offense, and it's a trap. Offense, I've been taught offense is like drinking poison but expecting the other person to die. Oftentimes, we're offended, and the other person doesn't even know that we're offended. But we're the one that's suffering. And oftentimes, we're suffering about an assumption that's not even true because we don't know I have the whole picture, right? It's a made-up story. It's a lack of perspective on the whole situation, but we're carrying 
this offense. Spewing self-righteous anger over things that should have been done a certain way, but we really just lacked the perspective. You guys tracking? And then oftentimes when we get offended, we cause other people to be offended because we start calling our 10 closest friends. <laughs> Can you believe what happened? Don't you think they should have done that? And then you build up your case for why your offense is justified. It's a trap. And I don't know, we've got some trappers in the house. We've got some fishermen and ladies in the house. And don't you know that you use certain kind of trap for certain kinds of animals? Like, you're not going to catch a mouse with a carrot, but peanut butter works pretty good. We have experience with that. Um, you're not going to catch a fish with a blade of grass, but worms usually do the trick. Satan knows what bait's going to get you. Let's not be ignorant of his devices. Maybe you won't be offended by a certain situation, but this other one, maybe you don't like the carrot, but you like the peanut butter. Satan knows that. Some names that the Bible gives Satan, our adversary, are, he's called the accuser of the brethren. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren, calls Satan the father of lies. And his tactic of offense is mixing these two characteristics of accusing believers and lying about them and trying to get you to believe it and trapping you in offense. Man, God loves you. But Satan hates us. He hates us. He would love nothing more than our heart to be filled with rage and frustration and annoyance and on edge and assuming the worst and bitter and entrapped in the sin of offense. Oftentimes, it's a critical or a judgmental thought or spirit that leads us into offense. And I don't see anywhere in the Bible that tells us to be the judge of people. God doesn't say, and now you go and judge other people. No. But when we are in the trap of offense, we have positioned ourselves as a judge. God says to your spouse, he doesn't say to be the judge of your spouse. He says that we would, um, what does it say, submit one to another and love each other. Love your spouse. Don't judge your spouse, Right? What does he say to do with our neighbor? Does he say to judge our neighbor on social media? No, he says love your neighbor, right? How about our response to our leaders and even our pastors? And hey, we have pastors. And so we get this dynamic. God doesn't call us to judge our leaders. He calls us to honor them. God doesn't call us to judge those that are far from God. He calls us to pray for them. When we get into the trap of offense, we're positioning ourselves as a judge as if we're all-knowing. God is the only one that's all-knowing, that knows the motives of everyone's hearts. Amen? We still doing good? One little more thing, and then we're going to get into some practicals. What do we do about this? Can we talk about offense within the church a little bit? And we're going to talk about it more next week. Because if Jesus said, hey, in the last days, the majority of believers are going to be offended, we got to be looking out. We got to be aware. And, and the thing with church is, we, we're a live family church because we believe church is a family. This is an organization. Yeah, we have nonprofit like stuff, but like we're a family. And so with family, we love each other deeply, right? In heart and church stuff and God stuff is a heart connection. And so the opportunity for offense within church family 
is great because we care about one another deeply and we care about the Lord deeply. We care about his church deeply. And so we got to be on our guard because you don't get offended by someone that you don't care about. Oh, that's just them. It doesn't impact me. But we get offended or we have the opportunity to be offended by people that we care deeply about and that we have a certain expectation on. Like you have a certain expectation that your spouse is going to love you, right? You have a certain expectation that your leader is going to be honorable. You have a certain expectation that your boss is going to be honest. You know, there's expectations with people that are close to you. And when they don't meet that expectation, it's an opportunity for offense. So that's one reason that we have to be on our extra guard within church community about offense is because we all love each other a lot. And when we care deeply, it opens up the opportunity for even deeper offense. But also because of this other thing. In, in church community, sometimes offense is a, is a double de, uh, deception because, number one, being offended is being deceived in the first place. But then number two, sometimes in church community, we can justify our offense because of what the Bible says, right? Well, I, I, well, they should be doing this because the Bible says so, so I am justified for being offended because of my spiritual whatever. You guys tracking with me? We got to be on our guard about this. Um... And a lot of times in, in, in church communities, offense can be delivered in a package of a prayer request. Well, I think such and such should be acting a certain way, so let's pray for them. Let's pray for the brother, right? When really it's just an opportunity, a, a seed of criticism that's planted that could grow into offense. We doing good? Church, let's be on our guard, amen? All right, so what do we do with all this? What do we do? Acts 24, 16 says, This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. So what do we do with all this? We strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. Other translations say, I exercise myself, like I lift weights on this topic. I make myself strong to be perceptive of when Satan's trying to put this bait of offense in front of me. And the scripture is interesting. We haven't even talked about this a ton this morning, but um, the opportunity to be offended, we also have the opportunity to be offended at God, right? That was the first bait of Satan in the garden. The first sin in the garden was offense towards God. Satan came as an ancient serpent to Eve and said, shouldn't God have let you eat from this tree? Shouldn't he have? Have you ever been there? Like, God, I thought you were going to do it differently. God, shouldn't you have done it a different way? We have the opportunity to be offended at God also. Satan loves to trap us in that. Woo! We doing good? We're doing good. And so I think we're going to talk about this more in future weeks, but this topic is so important to God. You know that scripture we went to where he's like, hey, it's better that a millstone be around your neck and thrown into the sea than to be involved in offense? Why is it such a big deal? Because do we know how much we have offended God? Do we know how much our sin separates us from him? But he doesn't look on us with judgment. He doesn't. He doesn't take offense at us. 
He looks at us with unconditional love. He believes the best in us when we don't deserve it. And he says, my people should not be critical. My people that have been forgiven so greatly should not take offense. Man, it's better that you have a weight around your neck and thrown into the sea. That is not my character of my people. We're going to talk about that more later, but this is a big deal because God's saying, this is not of my kingdom. My kingdom believes the best agape love, that you don't get anything in return. We're not a people of offense. We're a people of love. We have been so greatly forgiven If someone sins against you seven times in a day, you better forgive them seven times that day. It's hard though, right? It's hard. We're learning. We're going to learn. Okay, so we're going to close talking about three different ways that we can avoid the trap of offense. But first I want to just say a couple of things. Oftentimes offense comes in not full grown. It comes in as a thought. It comes in as a mohill that if we don't handle it, turns into a mountain. But when offense tries to seep into our life, oftentimes it will come as a critical or a judgmental thought, a should have. It's not this huge offense, but you just get this ugh in your gut about someone or a situation. Oftentimes it will come just as it's irritation, just something that's irritating you. I don't know, I just got this irritation about this person or this situation, and I'm not offended, I'm just irritated. But it's the seed of offense, right? And other times it will come into your life as a thought planted by someone else. Well, don't you think it should happen this way? And it gets you looking and thinking, and it starts to become the lens that you look through every situation. Now, because of this seed of a critical spirit or this seed of irritation, now it becomes the lens that you're looking at every situation. And now it's the only thing you're looking for. And now this offense starts to grow. You guys tracking? Okay, let's talk about the three things. So how do we, what do we do? How do we not walk in offense? And again, this morning is a bit of an appetizer. We still have lots more to talk about this topic, and we're going to be strengthened, we're going to be edified, we're going to be stronger because of it. Amen? But I want to leave you guys this morning. We're going to close in a time of prayer and reflection. Lord, is there any offensive way in me? But first, I want to just give you a couple handles. How do we leave this topic? Like, what if I've got, I I know, like, you don't even need to go into the time of prayer. I know, I, I have unforgiveness in my heart maybe this morning. But we're going to go into a time of prayer. But what do we do? What's our response? How do we live? How do we make every effort? Oh, another, um, that same scripture in the message translation says, believe me, I do my level best to keep a clear conscience before God and my neighbors and everything I do. How do we keep a level? How do we exert a level of best? How do we strive? How do we exercise to live without offense? Three thoughts. Number one, we got to check our heart daily. I think Pastor Eric shared the scripture that I'm going to share here in a minute in last month's series, but it's in Psalm 139, 23 through 24. How do we stay offense-free? We got to check our heart daily, like really moment by moment. How, how are we doing in our heart? Is there any offense, any bitterness, any ought towards someone in our heart? Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says this. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Man, This is such a great prayer. Honestly, this is a prayer or a version of a prayer I try to pray every morning. Do you know the the older you get, the more complicated life gets? And like the more opportunities for junk in your heart to be there. So every morning I put myself, as much as I am able to, put myself on the operating table of God and say, God, check my heart because I'm 
nervous about this, and I'm fearful about this, and I kind of got an irritation about this, and so Lord, flood, do floodlights on my heart, because I can't go into the day with this heart junked up, because out of our heart springs all the issues of life. We do life from our heart. We connect with God from our heart. So how do we avoid offense? Have eyes on our heart on the regular. Lord, what's going on in my heart? Do I have an irritation? Do I have a, you know, a critical thought or a you know, what's going on in here? Is it free? Is it light, right? Because the goal is to be sincere without offense. Is there a lightness in my heart, God? Am I offense-free? Is there just like a freedom in my heart or is there gunk in there? And if there's gunk, I want to handle it right away. Amen? Number two, believe the best every time. Believe the best every time. I've been taught that if we want to live offense-free lives, we got to let offenses roll off our back like a raindrop rolls off the back of a duck. Like they just glide right off, right? When offenses come, they're going to come. They need to just roll right off us. We can't absorb them into our heart or into our skin. And the best way to do that is to believe the best. What does scripture say? 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It's ever ready to what? Believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. How do you believe the best? Something happens, you get a ugh, you get a ought towards someone, you get an irritation about a situation. What do you do? Instead of saying, oh, they should have, or I bet they meant this, or I'm so hurt, or I'm so offended, or whatever. Love believes the best. So love's knee-jerk reaction is to say, you know what, I'm sure they didn't mean to hurt me. I'm sure I'm interpreting this wrong. Or uh, Joyce Meyer coined the great phrase, hurt people hurt people. They just hurt me. They must be hurting a whole bunch more. I wonder what's going on in their life. I wonder how I can love them. Or I can't believe they did that. Why would they do that? Love believes the best. So love says, you know what? I'm sure there's perspective. I'm sure there's a good reason why. They would not intentionally hurt me. They would not intentionally X, Y, Z. I'm sure I'm lacking perspective on this, right? I'm sure I don't have the full story. The serpent came to Eve and said, can you believe that God didn't let you eat from this tree? It would have been good for Eve to say, you know what? I'm sure there's a good reason why. I am not all-knowing, but I bet there's a good reason why. I'm going to believe the best. We can do the same thing with others, amen? And maybe sometimes it's a blind spot. You know what? I'm going to believe the best. This is probably a blind spot. They don't, they don't mean to hurt me. They don't, they don't mean to cause this offense. There must be a good reason. Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers a multitude of offenses. Love covers a multitude of offenses. This... Um, Scripture says, hey, there's going to be daily there's going to be daily offenses that we need to just quickly forgive, quickly believe the best, move on down the road. Ain't nobody got time to mess with offenses. Guys, we got people to care for. We got responsibilities to fulfill. We've got a kingdom of God to advance. Like, ain't nobody got time to be thinking about all these offense things. Amen? And so we need to believe the best. We need to love. We need to check our heart daily. But then sometimes there's big ones, right? Sometimes there's a big wound from your childhood. Sometimes there's a big pain, a big sin that has been done against you. Sometimes there's a big hurt. And you can't just, 
cast it on to the Lord. I mean, you can, but you need to go to that person. There's some reconciling. There's some conversations that need to be had. That's number three. We're going to talk about this in much more detail later on in the series, but I want to show you guys this this morning. Number three, how do we avoid offense? Don't be a chatterbox, but go first to the one that offended you. Matthew 18, 15 says this, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Offenses are multiplied when we become chatterboxes. And when we go and tell our closest 10 friends about the should-have offense of what happened. Bible says, no, go first privately to the one that hurts you. Romans 12, 18 says, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, as much as it depends on me, live peaceably with all men. The scripture is saying it's our responsibility to, to deal with the offense in our heart. Even if someone sinned against us, even if there was a legit wrongdoing, and it's not just a negative assumption, it's our responsibility to live at peace with all people. So if you have ought in your heart against someone, if you have a frustration or a resentment or a, a bitterness or a confusion or whatever that's causing this offense in your heart, then it's our responsibility to do everything within our power to live at peace with them. We're not responsible for what they do. We're responsible for what we do with the bitterness and the offense in our heart. Amen? We doing good? So again, this is just an appetizer. Do you guys feel like a good time of prayer would be appropriate at this time? want to um, repeat this scripture one more time. Philippians 1, 9, and I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you might be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Would you guys stand? We're going to go into one last moment of prayer and worship. listening to this week's podcast. To further connect with us at Alive, visit us at alivefamily.church. And remember, people matter and Jesus is alive.